I have just the last couple of weeks just being back. First uh, week, if you haven't been tracking with us, I asked you lots of questions. Um, and then last week, I started to go over again and remind us of who we are, remind us of our vision statement, of our uh, mission statement, and then we went through our core values. I'm not going to labor on them this morning, but if we can put up our vision statement, and let's read, read this together. Can we after three? One, two, three. Our vision is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people to express God's heart, fulfill their dreams, and change the world. If you weren't here last week, we, uh, we really looked into this whole vision statement and what each one of those words means and how it is relevant to us. But if we can put up the mission statement, and let's read it together. One, two, three. Our mission is to create a culture where people from every nation and generation can have a genuine encounter with the living God. Our mandate is to see people established in the truth, equipped to fulfill their dreams, and empowered to change the world around them. We want everyone to live in the fullness of everything Jesus paid for on the cross, to express the likeness of heaven here on earth, and to leave a legacy for the generations to come. There's seven E's in there. And if we, we've gone through them at different times before, but each one of those E's is really, has a, so much key significance and impact on everything that we do. Last week, we also went through our eight core values. But today, as promised, I want to launch into a whole new series on leadership. Everyone say leadership. leadership. And leadership, as we touched on last week, by definition, is Influence. Everyone say influence. Influence. Each one of us has a sphere of influence on somebody. Correct? Agreed? Even if you only have a cat or a dog and you think that's the only, you have influence. And first of all, you have influence over yourself because we have a choice as where we lead ourselves, what we do in life, where we go, how we react, how we respond. Leadership is influence. We talked about that a little bit last Week. But if I can, I want you just before I launch into this to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Just to give you, if you're writing notes, the title of my message today is The Ten Commandments of Leadership. Now, I am fully aware that these are not the Ten Commandments. So please don't write me a letter. I think you know that's not what the Bible... I'm fully aware of that. These are principles, and they're not the only principles. But they're principles that I think will help us navigate and look at this great subject of influence and leadership. But I want to start by reading this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Yep, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. I love this. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors. We are all, we are, we are God's hands and his feet right here on the earth. Do you know all of us are called to ministry? Do you know all of us are called to full-time ministry? It's true. I think if we really got this, it would break the whole um, spiritual and secular divide. That we kind, of, we kind of aspire to be in full-time ministry. But the truth is, we're all in full-time ministry. We're all ambassadors. It's just that some of us are paid for being good and the rest of us are good for nothing. No, no, no. That's just a joke. But it's important that we really get this. Because I think when we don't, we elevate the, our spiritual life. And then the secular life, well, that's just okay. And so the person that goes to Bible school, we go, they're going to Bible school. They're going into ministry. And the person that goes to college is like, well, that's okay. They're just going to university. 
kind of secondary. I believe that's a complete lie. Paul says it like this, my life is Christ and him crucified. Everything that we do is to be an ambassador and to express what God is like here on the earth. Amen? Whether you're a doctor, whether you are a teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a single mom, whether you have a gazillion children, whether you're in business, whether whether you're in an office somewhere, whether it's a church office or a second, it doesn't matter. Everything that we do, we do for one thing. Amen? To reflect His glory. His glory isn't some mystical cloud. His glory is His nature. Moses says, show me your glory, Lord. And God says, no one has seen my face and lived, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. And when I pass by, you'll see my glory. And what Moses saw is his nature. He saw his loving kindness, his mercy, his gentleness, his slowness to anger. So when we reflect his glory, we're reflecting his nature. We're reflecting what God is like. And we can do that every day through everything that we do. Through integrity, the way we run our business, the way, the way we raise our children, the way we have our marriages, everything that we do, we do it to reflect his glory. Why? Because we are ambassadors. Amen? So that's the start. Let's go through these together. Now, um, I found out just in playing around with words, I thought I'd be different and just do something different and use an acronym. So the Ten Commandments here... Just by chance, leadership, there's 10 letters in leadership. So the 10 commandments are going to end up spelling leadership. I just thought I'd let you know in advance. Okay, so the first commandment, are you ready? Is thou shall love. Everyone say love. The first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of our mind. The first commandment is to love God with everything that we have. Say, love God. I'm going to love God. First commandment is to love God with everything that we have, with my whole soul, with my whole mind, with my whole being. I'm going to love God. And of course, this is the scripture in Matthew 22, where the, they're trying to actually trick, trip Jesus up. And they said this, They said, what is the greatest command? Now they knew that, you know, in Jewish custom, there were 613 commandments and they thought they'd trick Jesus and trip him up and trap him with this question. And they said, so Jesus, let us ask you, what's the greatest command? And he said, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all your mind. And the next is just like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we've talked about this before. There's three journeys here. The journey up to love God, the journey out to love your neighbor, and the journey in to love yourself. Because the truth is, we can only love other people as much as we love ourselves. Is that true? That's so true. Wonderful. It's so important that this, in leadership, leadership is influence that the first commandment is that we really follow that commandment to love God passionately with everything that we do and everything that we say. Tim and I were talking about um, a man this morning that was in town with us and I ended up um, being in this forum with a lady named Heidi Baker. Have you ever heard of Heidi Baker? I'll tell this story quickly, but um, Heidi asked if I would take her out for breakfast. Now, I don't normally go out for breakfast with other ladies that aren't my wife, but because it was Heidi Baker, I figured it would be okay. She asked me in the presence of lots of other people, and so I picked Heidi up, and I took her out for breakfast, and when we got to breakfast, there was another gentleman there who was a a very well-known person around the world, and and he was very unhappy about something, and and I I realized after a while that Heidi had asked me because she wanted me to to listen to the conversation, kind of like a witness, and he was pretty unhappy happy with um, some of the things that had happened in his life and he felt that certain people were to blame and he wanted to express that and he was pretty triggered he was ready to go he was just like (laughs) you could see there was like a boiling point going on underneath him and we were sitting there and I was like okay this is awkward and then Heidi began to speak to him and she said it's so nice to finally meet you I was wondering if I could ask you a question and he's like "Uh, yeah sure and she said could you tell me how you met Jesus? And he was like, what? 
well, I want to tell you the story. And he, he was frustrated and kind of readjusted and like, uh, um, well, uh, how did I meet Jesus? Um, mm. Well, I guess it was when I was a teenager. She was like, yeah. And I was at college and this happened. And she was like, yeah. And as he just began to <laughs> really bring it down to the most important thing, you could see this frustration just falling off him. And he began to cry and he, then I met Jesus and then she began to cry and I began to cry. And I was like, what, how, what's happening? How did this happen? And after about 20 minutes, he's crying and she's crying and I'm crying. I'm like, what's happening here? And he was really upset a minute ago. And then she said, could I ask you another question? And he was like, yeah. She said, how did you meet the Holy Spirit? <laughs> now he's bawling. And she was like, I know, isn't it amazing? And then he talked for 20 more minutes. And then she said, it's so nice to meet you. Dan and I have to go now. And he was like, okay. And he stood up and they hugged each other. And I was like, see you later, mate. Okay, bye. And we got in the car and drove off. And I learned something that day, that there is nothing more important than Jesus. There's nothing more important than really loving God more than anything else and keeping that central to everything that we do and everything that we say. And that's what she did. Not out of a trick, but she genuinely just bought it and centered everything. And suddenly all the, the things, the frustrating things that she, he had going on in his life didn't seem to really matter. You know, to worship God, to love God and everything we do, it's easy to worship God when everything is going great. But I believe God is more glorified than when we can worship him in the tough times than in the good times. You know, it's easy to love God and be thankful and worship him when you've got a new promotion and everything's going great and your health is great. But it's when you're in the depths of despair. It's when your children come home on drugs. When your husband says he doesn't love you anymore, your wife walks out on you, or the doctor uses the word cancer, or something like this. One of these real things that happen in life. The question right there is, can we still love God? Worship is extravagant, and res res extravagant respect and devotion that is unrestrained by reason. I love it. It says, when Job, when, at the end of Job's first test, it says, at this, Job fell on the ground and he worshipped God. That you incited him against me without any reason. There was no reason. There was no reason. You incited him against me without any reason, without any cause. And it says, at this, Job fell on the ground and he worshipped God. Worship is extravagant respect and devotion that is unrestrained by reason. We praise God, praise his thanks for what he's done, but we worship him just for who he is because he's God. I don't know why, but I know that you're good. I'm going to worship you. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why that happened. But my life and my, is not going to be hinged on whether I'm doing all right or I'm not doing all right. Whether I'm happy or sad, God, at the end of the day, those things are real. But I know you're a good God and I'm going to worship you because you're God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Keep in that main thing, the main thing. In Lamentations 1 verse 9, it says, she forgot her destiny and her collapse was awesome. Church, we can't forget our destiny and our destiny is him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And do you know he is the reward? <laughs> when we pursue him, we find him and we're changed into his likeness. It's not like we, he's the reward of those. I'm going to diligently seek him and I'm going to get stuff. That's just a byproduct of him. But the reward is him. Amen? Number two. So number one is to love thy God. L for leadership is to love God with all our heart. Th number two, thou, second command, thou shall lead by setting an example. E is for example. Everybody say example. Here's the scripture if we can put that up. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Can we put that up? Have confidence. Okay, no, that's not it. <laughs> it was up. Oh, it was up. Should we read it? Here, I, I, I know the scripture. It's Paul, and he's writing to Timothy, his son, true son in the faith. And he says, Timothy, set an example to the believers. This is a younger man. And he's saying, I want you to set an example in four areas. In your speech, 
in your love, in your purity, and in your life. In those four areas, I want you to set. Everyone say set. Set is, is where the opposition is. It's to set the standard, to set up, to put in place. I want you, Timothy, a young man, to be an example in the church. I want you to set an example. I want you to raise the standard. I want you to set the standard to be an example. The second commandment of leadership we're talking about this morning is thou shall set, set, set. What an example. Not just for the church, but outside of the church. You you know, we are examples. You know, you and I are the only Jesus that most people will ever see or meet. We're ambassadors. We're the salt and the light of the earth. We are God's flavor. You put salt in food to bring it flavor, to enhance the flavor, to preserve it. We are God's flavor in the earth. We are God's seasoning. If we lose our saltiness, the message says, how will people taste godliness? It's the flavor that God has given us, that salt, that we're an example for people to follow. Set an example in your life, in your love, in your speech, in your purity. That's where I want you to set an example. I believe that we need to be a transparent people. You know, I, I wrote this this week, that being, being mysterious makes people curious. You know, if you hide something behind your back, people are like, what are you hiding behind your back with children? But I think we don't, even with the raising of our kids, we can be really transparent. Set an example of transparency because being mysterious makes people curious. But just say, hey, here it is. Here's everything. This is it. This is me. And set an example uh, in that way. You know, we're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. A thermostat, there's one at the back of the building, is a device that's purpose is to set and maintain a desired temperature. We have Tim and Kara staying with us. And in the last night, it was so hot in the basement because the fire was on, it tripped the thermostat, which made the house go cold. So when, sorry, yeah, turned it off. But then we cranked it up later on, and so it was really, really hot in the basement. And so they came up. It's boiling down there. <laughs> My boys were like, we just saw Tim in his boxers. <laughs> what a sight. But listen, we are, thermo we are thermostats to set an example. We're to set the temperature. We're called to set the te temperature, to change the atmosphere, not go around measuring it all the time. Oh, it's too hot, it's too cold. No, to set and maintain the desired temperature. In the earth, I believe that we can change the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere in the room because we are called to set the example. Amen? Woo, okay. You know, we're to set up against opposition. If we raise the standard of godliness, that's what we'll attract. We attract like kind. If, have you ever noticed, in, maybe in your place of work, somebody who's a gossip will attract all the gossips? If there's some kind of sin, whether it's a sexual sin, it will, that person will attract all of that. And those people will soon gather around. Where there's a standard of righteousness, people will attract the standard of righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. To set and maintain the desired temperature. God has called us to be an, an example. I, you and I have, God has made us the sole guardian of our own soul. Everyone say soul. You and I are the sole guardian of our own soul. And we have a responsibility to take care of it. You know, we're, we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we are triune beings, spirit, soul, and body. And we need to look after our spirit man. We talk a lot about that in charismatic circles. But we also have a soul, our mind, our emotions, our will. And we need to care for it. It's what it says in, in 3 John. That I wish above all things that you would prosper and get along just as your soul prospers. Soul prosperity is really important. That we have a prosperous soul. I'm just throwing some things out. You're looking very blankly at me. So I'm just going to keep moving on. But set an example. 
Paul also says, that, also says in this text, you can look at it. He says, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set an example. You know, if you feel inferior, I think it was um, Eleanor Roosevelt that said, the only person that can make you inferior, feel inferior is you. We don't have to feel inferior. We're the head and not the tail. But we are confident in who God has made us to be. Don't let anyone look down on you, Paul says to Timothy, because you are young, but set an example. In other words, don't be arrogant, but set an example in the way that you speak, in your speech, in the way that you love, in your purity, and in your life, which covers everything. (laughs) But set an example. Set an example. Everyone say example. You know, sometimes I will set an example. I I, I remember one time, I I was in a situation, I was surprised that someone didn't know how to repent. I thought this, this person... We were talking about this conversation about this last night, about repentance and how what isn't repentance and what is repentance. And when you see it all, but you see people just make a mess of it. It's like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not repentance. Well, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. In other words, you're the problem because you're a weak person, and I, you're just very. T- That's not repentance. Repentance is is recognizing the wrongdoing and actually saying it, confessing it, saying, hey, listen, I did this. Number one, it was two. It was, it was true. I did it. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. And by the way, at the end, don't say but. <laughs> if I say but in our family after that, Fee will wait for it. It's like, so you're sorry. And that's the end of it. I've learned, been married 20 years this month. Don't say, I'm really sorry, but... Because that's not really repentance. It's saying, okay, I understand that you're upset because I did this, but you did this. And I, I only did this because you did that. Can you see? That's not repentance. It's not repentance to turn it around and put it on the other person. All right, so, it, so sometimes, and it's not that I'm not being repentant or genuine, but I say, hey, listen, I need to ask for forgiveness. I did this for you a few weeks ago in a situation that was really intense. Um, it was about 11 o'clock at night. Fee and I were dealing with a very uh, intense situation. We were in the UK, and I stopped, and I said, I just need to ask for forgiveness for something. And they were like, what? You're just kind of umpiring the situation. I said, I said something earlier that it was wrong. And this is what I said, and I shouldn't have said it. Before we go on, will you all forgive me? Oh, yeah, it's fine. We didn't even remember. Didn't even know what you said. No, no, no. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I can't move on until you've forgiven me. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. No, no. Can you look at me? I'm asking, will you forgive me? It was wrong. Whether you even heard me or not, my conscience won't allow this to go on until I've dealt with this. Dan, we totally forgive you. Thank you. You know, it broke something in the room. And I was, I, all I was, I, it was genuine. I would really had done something wrong. But I was setting an example. Hey, this is how you put something right. Amen? Set an example. Number three. Thou shall, <laughs> thou shall know what you are accountable for and who you are accountable to. Everybody say accountability. Accountability, accountability is really important. Being accountable to one another is really important. Now, you know, one of our, uh, one of our we, we teach this a lot on sonship, is the power of choice. And I, I hate control. I hate anything that smells like control. But, you know, sometimes reaction to an error leads into another error. And sometimes we can pull so far away from the, because we don't want anything to even smell like control that we actually forfeit leadership. <laughs> and so someone's just leading, and now that's very controlling. Say, like, hang on, it's not controlling. It's just good leadership. If you tell your kids, don't run in front of the car, I'm going to put up a fence. It's like, well, that's just so controlling. It's like, well, okay. No, it's you're just leading your kids. I think you get the point. But accountability is really important. Lani Hertenstein told me this joke, but he said there was three pastors, and they got together, and they decided it would be really important to have accountability. And so they got together and they said, well, this is really hard because we, you know, don't normally talk about these things, but we're all pastors, so we're going to share. And so he said, you know, Pastor Bob, why don't you go first? And he said, well, I've just really struggled with anger. Ah, oh, brother, we get it. It's, thanks for sharing. It's, what happened? Tell us about it. He says, I have fits of rage. I just get really angry. I get angry with my kids. I get angry with my wife. And like, well, we're going to pray for you. We're going to keep you accountable. What about you, Pastor Steve? Well, I just struggle with jealousy. 
I get so jealous. Oh, I get so jealous. I get jealous if, when if other people have more stuff than me. I get jealous when other churches grow bigger than, than our church. And I just struggle with jealousy. Well, thank you, Pastor Steve. We'll keep you accountable. What about you, Pastor Joe? He goes, you know, I've changed my mind. I, I really don't want to share. I was like, well, no, Joe, Pastor, you have to, Joe, you have to share because we did. He goes, oh, no, 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 I really don't want to. I feel embarrassed. No, no, you have to. We've been really open and honest. This is what accountability is all about. You have to share. He goes, no, no, I really don't want to. He goes, Pastor Joe, you've got to share because we shared all this stuff. He said, okay, I just really struggle with gossip and I can't wait to get out of here so I can go and tell everybody what you guys struggle with. <laughs> you remember that, Lottie? <laughs> all right. So we need to know who we're accountable to and what we are accountable for. Accountability. You know, it, it, this is in Hebrews chapter 13. Is, that, is the scripture up there? Um, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this, that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you, Hebrews 13, 17. Now, um, it's funny, Tim and I were having this conversation. We had a lot of conversations the last 24 hours um, about this whole thing of authority. And I, I remember uh, being in a forum with, um, with some different leaders and um, and the room was full of pastors, and, and they asked at the end, they said, um, would any of the senior pastors, if you have a question, there's hundreds of people in the room, hundreds of people in the room, could you put your hand up? And I, put, I was first person. I said, yes, I have a question. Now, because of some of my background, some of the teaching that I've come through, this was, I was kind of pretty triggered, like this other guy with Heidi Baker. I was just ready to, someone needs to give some explanation for this. But I asked the question, I said, will Bill Johnson, as an apostle, give an account for all of these churches? And it was actually Danny Silk who was on the panel. And he asked for the microphone. He went, absolutely not. And but I thought, this is terrible. You've got to give an account. So everybody laughed. And I didn't think it was very funny. And anyway, so Danny said, sir, what's your name? And, and I told him my name. He said, what's behind your question? And I said, well, obviously, as a pastor, I'm going to have to give an account to God for people. And so I was wondering if people, apostles, they have to give an account for the churches. He said, and where did you get that? I said, Hebrews 13, 17. He said, could you read the scripture? And I read the scripture. And he said, so where in that does it say that? And I said, they must give an account. And he said, correct. But he said, it doesn't say that we're going to give an account for people. It says we're going to give an account. And he said, we'll give an account, watch this, for what we teach. We'll give an account for the example that we set. We can't, but there's a control mechanism. Watch this. If I say I have to give an account for you, then I can make you all do what I say. Which is the opposite to what God is like as a father who gives us the power to choose. Even in the garden, he says it's your choice. He, there was, there was, he didn't put an electric fence around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said it's your choose. If you eat from it, you will surely die. Not naturally, but you'll die a spiritual death. And they, as we all know, chose poorly. <laughs> Some of you watched that movie. But it's important that we will give an account. I will give an account. You will give an account for the way you've lived your life. You will give an account. I will give an account for what I'm teaching right now. You will give an account for your families, for your children, not for them as individuals, but for what you taught them. If this church was 10,000 people, there's no possible way that I can give an account for every single person and every child and grandkids and nephews and nieces. That's ridiculous. So it's a very small church mentality. Right? I'm going to give an account for everybody. Well, how's that going to work when it's thousands of people? No, we're going to give an account for what we teach. But there becomes a choice. Watch this. If God gives us the prerogative to choose, then so must we. This may shock you, but your kids don't have to serve God. God gives them that choice. Okay. But we have a responsibility to lead them in God's ways. But at the end of the day, it's God gives them the prerogative to choose. The prodigal son. I battled at that story. Why would, why would this father figure empower his child to make a bad choice? Because it was his choice. Why did the rich young ruler go away disappointed? Because Jesus gave him choice. He went away disappointed because he has 
much wealth. Deuteronomy 30. Today, I bring heaven and earth as witnesses. Choose, everyone say choose. Choose life or choose death. It's still our choice. And it's one of the most painful things when we watch people make decisions that we wish they would not make and they make decisions that we know they're not the best. But watch this. We have a responsibility to love them just the same. And I believe that if we love them just the same with the love of God, when they'll, they'll come out of that cul-de-sac, and when they come out, mum and dad, the church, God's people will be there with love and, and kindness on our face. You know, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's the message, acceptance before change. The world says change and the church will accept you. God says, I accept you. And the byproduct of acceptance is change because the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Amen? i got to really step it up. You guys are keeping me, making me slow. Accountability, accountability, accountability. There's a, a proverb, it's not in the Bible, but a proverb that says, he who runs alone thinks he runs the fastest. <laughs> you know, we all have blind spots. We're all legends in our own minds. We all think we're brilliant. That's why we need one another to go, hey, buddy, you're not doing quite as good as what you think. Oh. We all have blind spots. You know, the bigger the vehicle, the bigger the blind spot. Trucks, if you see them, there's like this strike zone on the halfway down the side of the truck. It's like, don't get caught when it turns a corner. We all have blind spots. Everyone say blind spots. Blind spots be like, hey, you know, I don't know if you know this about you, but you're kind of like this. No, I'm not. It's like, okay, yes, you are. No, I'm not. I just don't see it. I know because it's in your blind spot. But I just don't see it. Because it's in your blind spot. Can you see? We, all, we need one another. We need to know what we're accountable for. And we need to know who we're accountable to. Because we all have blind spots. Blind spots. Blind spots. And with that comes, it's like, God, if, if we choose to serve God, let's do it with our whole heart. Paul says this, this God whom I serve with my whole heart, that we serve God with everything that is within us. I have never met anyone who wasn't willing to serve God on their own terms. <laughs> it's fine to serve God on our terms, but if we really want him to be Lord, if we do it on his terms, it's wonderful. And the enemy is a distorter and he twists things to make it look like it's restrict restrictive and bondage, but actually it's absolute freedom. When we live by the word of God, it brings freedom. Amen? Okay, number four. Everyone say number four. The fourth command is thou shall make good decisions. There's the D, L-E-A-D, decisions. Everyone say decisions. Stay with me. If I know you're with me, I'll go fast. If you stay quiet, I'll think, maybe they're not getting it. So I'll just keep saying in different ways. And you'll be like, seriously? Can you hurry up? Decisions. Everyone say decisions. Decisions. Make good decisions. Here's the text. Um, this is in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And it says this. From Issachar, men who understand the times and knew what Israel should do. All of their relatives under their command. Okay, that's irrelevant. But the... The sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew what to do. Leaders need to know what to do. In fact, I'll say this. He who knows what to do, especially in crisis, will ultimately be the leader. I think I, I told this story a few weeks ago about 9-11. I think it was on our first Sunday back, that at 9-11, there was a, a business meeting going on in the first tower high up, um, but below where the plane hit, and that this it was like a multi-billion dollar deal. These are the guys wearing Armani and Gucci and crocodile briefcases, and they're there doing this deal, and when the plane hit the tower, and there was a, a most amazing boom. But the building shook, but they didn't know what happened, so they were ushered into an elevator, and they were still on their Blackberries and iPhones calling their assistants because they had another meeting, and they got to put this deal together, and they're frustrated what's going on because no one knew. They went down in the elevator and the lights went out. And when the lights went out, so, so did many of their cell phones. But in that corner was a window washer stood in the corner with his bucket. And he used the handle of his 
but of his bucket to prise open the elevated doors where there was concrete and he worked out where he was in the building because he knew the building really well and there was a bit of drywall halfway up on the concrete and he used the broom handle or the, the mop um, handle to break through the drywall and on the other side was a men's bathroom. The window washer cleaned, climbed his way through and eventually convinced these men in Armani suits to stand on the bucket and hoist themselves up through this little gap into the men's bathroom where he'd broken through the tiles. And he, they stood there and they said, what now? And he said, follow me. And he took them down a service uh, staircase all the way to the bottom of the building and walked out of the first tower as it crumbled and fell to the ground. On that day, this is my point, on that day, the window washer was the leader. Why? Because he knew what to do. The sons of Issachar understood the times in which they lived and they knew what to do. Leaders must make good decisions. Thou shall make good decisions. The greatest gift is the one that's needed at that time. We're not in a hierarchy here, folks. The greatest gift is the one that is need, needed at that time time and it's important that as leaders that we make decisions and we make them you know when we don't act on what we do know we become paralyzed by what we don't know when we don't do something we just become stationary we become paralyzed because i'm just i don't know what to do when you don't act on what you do know you become paralyzed by what you don't know there's a great quote by a man named Bryn Jones who I mentioned earlier, and he said this, the future is in the hand of the dreamer who has a passion to make it happen. The future's in our hands if we have a passion to make it happen. Amen? Amen. External, internal realities will always become external realities. What's going on on the inside will recreate on the outside. If there's turmoil, turmoil going on in here, then we'll create turmoil out here. Why? Because leadership is influence. But it, watch this. The opposite is true. If there's peace in here, we'll create peace out there. Jesus on the boat. The disciples are freaking out. Doesn't even care we're going to die. And Jesus wakes up because he was living in a realm where there wasn't a storm. And he spoke from the internal reality. And he said, storm, be quiet. There was rest in here. There was peace in here. He spoke it out of here, and there became peace out here. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a thermostat, not a thermometer. We're not here just to take the temperature. We're here to change the temperature. We're here to change the spiritual atmosphere. That leaders change the spiritual atmosphere. They make good decisions. Where they go, they change the atmosphere. They bring hope. They bring life. They bring joy. I think I talked about Psalm, I think it's 65, about the, the, the joy is activated in a child when the parent looks with sheer delight upon that child. And many Christians are joy impaired because they don't know how much they are loved. And so they live in a world in here that they cre then create out here. You ever been with somebody who's like, well, you're around them, it's like, whoa. <laughs> Woo! That was fun. <laughs> yeah. We can create all kinds of atmospheres. Everything's just getting worse. This is terrible. Like, hey, you can lead both ways. Person of influence can lead, lead into hope and into joy and into peace and into faith or into disaster. What plays in the theater of your own mind? Is it hope or is it disaster? Because what's playing in the theater of your own mind will be created out here in the world that we live and create. Amen? Thou shall make good decisions. Number five, thou shall learn to encourage thyself in the Lord. Everyone say encourage. encourage. Thou shall learn to encourage thyself in the Lord. Encouragement is the impartation of courage. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. I believe God's people should be the most courageous people on the planet. That we are full of courage. That we know how to encourage ourselves. And I'm sure if we were really honest and we were really transparent, that all of us have gone through times where we are so discouraged. 
courage, where we've had courage taken out of us, taken away from us. It's been sapped out of us through life, through disappointments, through discouragements, through life events, stuff that happens. And discouragement comes in. But I want to say this. One of the hallmarks of a great leader is he must be able to encourage himself. And I've said it again. I'll say it again. All of us are leaders to some degree. And therefore, we must all learn the principle of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. Here's the text. If you can put it up. And uh, the, the context here is David is at the place called Ziklag. Ziklag means turning point. And his own men, the mighty men that he trained from the cave of Adullam, these people that he loved, he spent, he did his life together with them. He knew their wives, he knew their children. And it says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his son, of his sons and daughters. <laughs> Imagine this. Sometimes we just we gloss through scriptures like this. But David is the leader of an army. He is the one at the front. There's no one else in front of him. There's no one else to encourage him. And his own men are saying, Dave, we love you, dude. But man, you seriously messed up. You just lost our, you know my wife. You were there at our wedding. You know my kids. They're all gone. The Amalekites have pillaged our, our, our cities. They are all gone. David, dude, we're going to kill you, man. You deserve to die. Imagine if you were David, you've got no one else. It's just you, your own men, your buddies. These are the guys you've done, you've gone into war with. And they're like, see ya, you deserve to die, man. You've messed up. I've lost my wife. I've lost my kids because of you. And he goes away on his own and it says, he, he wept till there was no strength left in him. Watch this. Then David found strength in the Lord. Another translation says, encouraged himself in the Lord. We've looked at this before, but the Hebrew word is hazak or shazak. He shazaked himself. He shazaked himself, which means he conquered himself. He built himself up in the Lord. He said, I have, this is what God has called me to be. And he stood up and he rallied his men. And he said, man, I know you want to kill me, but I found strength in the Lord. Let's go and kick the Amalekites butt. <laughs> Sorry. English. And he says, he went from Ziklag and he took down the Amalekites. And watch this. It says, he recovered all. He took everything back at Ziklag. Church, to find strength in the Lord. You know, um, somebody said this uh, uh, last year uh, and it just, it just stayed with me. He said this, there are times in your life where God will silence your friends. He'll, he'll silence the ears and close the eyes and blind the eyes of your closest friends to cause you to go to the only person that can help you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some of us need to learn this principle. No one loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to shazak myself in the Lord, and I'm going to go and get everything back. Now, please don't say we don't need each other. I'm not saying that. We absolutely need one another. Okay? We need to encourage one another. But there does come a place in our lives where we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen. Listen, the level of your leadership is determined by the threshold of your pain. The level of leadership, the level of your leadership will be determined by the threshold of your pain. How much pain? You know, pain isn't change. Pain is just the opportunity to change. If you put your hand in a fire, that's not change. It's ow. It just causes, it gives me the opportunity to change. But God wants us to change from one degree of glory to another so that we get better and better, that we get stronger and stronger. Amen? Can I just say this as well? Failure is not terminal. If you've messed up, it's not terminal. Because <laughs> God's the God of the, the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. Okay, I've got to move on. All right, number six. Thou shalt be responsible for all you've been entrusted with. Everyone say responsible. Responsibility, watch this. Responsibility is the ability to respond. Responsibility is the ability to respond. And I'll say this. If you don't have the ability to respond, then you shouldn't be given the responsibility. Responsibility is the ability to respond. 
In Matthew 25, here's the text. It's the story of the talents. Jesus says it's like unto a man going away on a journey and he calls his servants together and he entrusted different amounts of money, talents, the Bible calls them, to each one of them. And then it says this, and he gave to each one of them according to their ability. Isn't it interesting that God judges us according to the ability that he gave us? We all have a measure. We all have a gift. We all have a sphere. We all have a task that God has proportioned different abilities, different measures, different capacities to each one of us. And then God, there's a reckoning. There's an account, there's an account that, he, that he's going to ask us for to give to him according to the ability that he has given us. And if you remember, one, he buried his gift and exposed his fear. That's the one that got the judgment. But what he should have done is buried his fear and exposed his gift. And we do that a lot, don't we? We bury our fear. Sorry, we bury our gift and expose our fear. But God, but God said to the, to the third one, he actually called him a wicked, lazy servant. It's pretty horrendous, actually. But God was saying, what I wanted you to do is bury your fear and expose your gift. Because there's an accountability now for what I gave you. You know, I, I don't have time to unpack this, but I just say one of the things that a leader must have is instinct. I find it fascinating that nowhere in this story did Jesus actually tell them what he expected. But when God gives us something, there's something in, instinctively in a leader that wants to reproduce, that wants to do something, that wants to, I've got to do something. Let me out, let me go. I've got to, because it's just instinct. But that's a pretty strict judgment for a master that came back and nowhere in the story does he actually say, and by the way, when I get back after this period of time, I expect this of you. No, it was instinct. There's something, God has given me this. I've got to do something with it. Same with the, the, the lepers that came back. Where's the other nine? It would have been a fair comment to say, you didn't actually ask them to come and say thank you. <laughs> but it's instinctive. And the one that came back to say thank you got a sozo. He was made whole. All right, going to move on. Thou shall be responsible for what has been trusted to us. Um, number seven, thou shall stand for that which is true. Everyone say stand. You know, leaders stand. They, there's a difference between standing and taking your stand. In Ephesians 6, it says, and when you've done everything, take your stand. There's a difference between taking a stand and just standing. Taking your stand is, is positioning yourself for opposition and conflict. It means I have a conviction. Everyone say conviction. A man without conviction is at the mercy of circumstance. And if circumstances cause you to change your conviction, then they were never convictions in the first place. But when we stand for that which is true, I believe this, I cannot bend, I will not bend because I know this is right. It's called integrity. Leaders take their stand. They're going to stand firm for what they believe in. Can I say this as well? That if we are just prone to every single fad and everything that go, runs through the church, I would, I would suggest it's an indicator that we don't have an authentic vision. Paul says this, don't be blown this way and that by every wind of doctrine. We are not a fad church. We are totally open to the things of the Spirit. But we must make sure that everything that we do and everything we say and everything, every activity we do is in line with our vision, with our mission and our core values. Because if we don't, then we're just going this way and that way. And it's normally an indicator that there's not actually an authentic vision. But we have to stick to the vision. Amen? Where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. Therefore, where there is, people get restraint. That's why I want us to keep the vision clear before us. This is where we're going. We're called to be a radical, relevant people that empower people to express God's heart, fulfill their dreams, and change the world. That's who we are. That's what we're all about. It's radical, relevant, empowering people to express God's heart, fulfill their dreams, and change the world. Amen? Number eight, thou shall walk in humility. Thou shall walk in, everyone say humility. Here's the, here's the text, Micah 6, 8. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I'm nearly done, everybody. I'm sorry I have gone over. Humility is having an accurate assessment of who God says you are. 
Pride is having an inaccurate assessment of who we think we are. I'll say again, humility, everyone say humility, is having an accurate assessment of who God says we are. It says of Moses that Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. And you know who wrote it? Moses. <laughs> Moses wrote of himself that he was the most humble man that ever lived. Why could he write that and not be arrogant? Because humility is having an accurate assessment of who God says you are. It was true. But when we're prideful, pride is having an inaccurate assessment of who we think we are. And pride either pities itself or it promotes itself. But either way, it's about self. Amen? Okay. Humility. Walk in humility. No one can beat you at being you. You're the only you that God created. Be the best you that God has made you to be. Be you. And say, I'm really good at this. I know I'm called to this. I'm not so good at this. I'm terrible at that. But this is me. And when we come to that place and we find our center, we become incredibly secure. And we're not moved by other, what other people think. You know, if we live off the accolades of man, we will die by their criticism. If we live by what other praises of man or what other people think about them, we'll die. We'll, it will destroy us when people don't like us anymore <laughs> because our identity was just found in what we do rather than who we are. Amen. Wonderful. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Number nine, thou shall always believe for the impossible. Thou shall always believe for the impossible. Everyone say impossible. I'm nearly done. Stay with me. I'll keep going around this again. Impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is attracted to faith. God is attracted to movement. You know, the book of Acts was a book of action, not a book of intentions. It was a book of action. It was the acts of the early church. Let's believe that faith without works is dead. We have to put our faith into action and believe for the impossible. To believe for the impossible. You know, that's why I so, Lily, I loved what you said today. I just bring in the word. Is Mary Washko here today? Is she downstairs? Is she with the kids? John? You know, I know you know this story. I've told it in, in different countries. It's so exciting. But um, Lily's mum was uh, Mary, who's downstairs with our kids, um, could not taste or smell anything for 17 years. Everyone say 17 years. That's a long time to not be able to smell anything or taste anything. And Lily, one night where John and Mary were watching telly, went over there and she stood up, right, Lily? And you said, thank you, Jesus, for my mom and dad. And you laid hands on your mom and you laid hands on your dad. And then you sat down. And they said, thank you, Lily. And then a few minutes later, while the TV was on, you got up again and you went over to your dad. He said, thank you for my dad. Thank you for his work. And then you said, thank you for my mom. Heal her, God. Let her be able to smell and let her be able to taste. And then you went and sat down. They said, thank you, Lily. And then the next day when your mom got up, she could smell coffee. Right? For the first time in 17 years. And she said, John, she went down, she said, are you making coffee? Why can I smell coffee? And she smelled coffee. And she opened the fridge and she started to eat. She said, I can taste. That's the impossible. We have to believe God for the impossible. And talk about it. That's why the Bible says, talk about these things when you walk, walk along the street. Talk about them with your children. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's the, I haven't got time to unpack this, but it's the power to do it again. Like, whoa, it's like, that just happened. You know, I would encourage you if you, if you, have, if you have problems with your smelling or your tasting, come and have Lily at the end. Say, Lily, could you pray for me? And Lily will pray for you. And I believe in the impossible that you will receive your taste and you'll receive your smell. Amen? You know, I know the Trentham's kids were sick yesterday. And I said, uh, and the boys were saying, well, David's going to do this at church. I said, is David going to be there? He's not very well. Oh, he said, Chloe laid hands on him. He's fine. I'm like, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Kids, just well, let's just deal with this right now. Let's pray for healing. That's what it is to have a childlike faith. See, the older we get sometimes, if we become, if we allow spiritual old age to get in, we just start thinking of all the reasons why it doesn't work or all the situations where it hasn't worked. Rather than saying, God says, 
lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And that's what I'm going to believe. When you're a child and you say, hey, we're going to the park. My kids never thought, I wonder if you can afford the gas to get to the park. Wonder what happened if, if some, the phone rings and my dad says he can't go. They have no con. My dad said, we're going to the park. Woohoo! We're going to the park. That's a childlike faith. We need to believe God like that. Well, that person's still sick. They've been sick. There's no point in praying for that person died. I don't, I, I know, but my faith can't be hinged on that. I have to believe what the word of God says. And that's why it's, it's, we, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We have a choice every day. We can believe for the impossible or we can fix our eyes and believe it is impossible. Amen. Wonderful. And number 10, everyone say number 10. Hallelujah. Number 10. He's nearly finished. The 10th commandment of leadership is thou shall watch thy life and progress carefully. Everyone say carefully. Everyone say progress. <laughs> watch thy progress. You know, God wants us to progress. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's writing to his son. He's saying, Timothy, you're leading this church. Watch your life and your progress carefully. I want you to progress. I want you to keep Moving. You know, the doorway to leadership is guarded by many challenges. And if you learn into, look into the life of Timothy, he had challenges. He had health challenges. But in all of it, Paul, as a, as a father, is saying, hey, watch your life. Watch your life. Look at it carefully. But I want you to watch your progress. In Ecclesiastes 10, 10 verse 10, it says this, if you if your axe is dull and you don't sharpen it, then you will have to work much harder. <laughs> if, your if your knife or your axe head is blunt and you don't sharpen it, you will have to work much harder. Church, if we as leaders don't progress we don't keep growing. Learn how to deal with challenges and rise above to be better leaders, to be better influencers, to be more, to hold in Christ, not defeated by disappointment, defeated by a bad attitude, defeated by sin, defeated, 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 where the salt and the light of the earth are walking around like Eeyore. Oh, well, there's another cloud in the sky, but oh, this happens. Like, shut up. All creation, by the way, is waiting for you with eager expectation for you to be revealed. You're the head and not the tail. Act like it. You're the salt and the light of the earth. You're an ambassador of Christ himself. As if God was making his appeal through you. So let's watch our life and doctrine carefully. Watch this. There's three things that you need to sharpen an axe. The first thing you need is oil. The second is water. And the third is iron. But the iron has to be stronger and harder iron than the axe that you're sharpening. Isn't that interesting that we need the oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit. We need the water, which is the Word of God. And we need something that is harder than we are so that we can become sharp. Can I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring you fresh oil, that to allow the Word of God to enrich you and dwell in you richly and find people that are stronger than you in the area that you need sharpening in and go and allow them. to. And it may cause some friction, but I promise you that you'll grow grow as a result. If you want to fly like an eagle, don't hang around chickens. Go and find people who have done it. Oh, I'm struggling with this. I know you are, Ed. Maybe we could be accountable. What? Find somebody who's been victorious over that. I'm not talking about Ed in the church, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Ed. Earl. There's no Earls here, are there? But find, find, find somebody who's overcome Find somebody who's strong in that area and say, hey, listen, I've been, I've, I'm going to be victorious. Don't, accountability shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I'm struggling with that too. You're still, still struggling, yeah. It should be like a, it's like, a, imagine uh, the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, we just got our butts kicked again, dude. I know, it's terrible. It's like, let's get really good at winning. It's like, next time, we're going to win. We're going to train. And we're going to get better and better and better. 
This isn't going to beat me down anymore. It's like the two boxers training. And there's a, a worldwide coach watching them too. And one of them had such a powerful right hook. And he kept knocking his component down. And there was two coaches, a senior coach and a junior coach. And after a few rounds, the junior coach said to the senior coach, the one with the right hook, he's the champion. And the senior coach looked at me and went, it's the one that keeps getting back up. That's the champion. Church, we've got to keep getting back up and keep progressing. Watch your life and your progress well. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. I know time's gone. Just put your hand on your heart, will you? Say, Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all on the cross. I thank you that the wrath of God was satisfied on Jesus. And I thank you that I'm a son, that I'm a saint, I'm not a sinner, and I'm not a slave. Thank you, you paid it all. And today, I give you my life afresh. And I want to be a person of influence that can change the atmosphere around me. Help me, God. Help me, Holy Ghost. Wonderful counselor in everything I do and say. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day, church.